0: Jesus, and everything that we do, let us honor you, for you are our king. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you've saved us, you've redeemed us, you've purchased us at Calvary, and we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, thank you for Sunday morning. Thank you for the fellowship of believers. God, I pray that every heart will be prepared as we study your word. I pray that every heart is hungry and wants to learn and grow in their love and their devotion and in their relationship with you, Lord. And part of that is understanding heaven. So Lord, help us, Father, if it's it's possible with our finite minds to understand the infinite this morning, to understand heaven. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we we rejoice. Minister to us now. By the Holy Spirit, minister to every heart this morning, including mine, God. Minister to us all by your Holy Spirit through the Word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Praise the Lord. Y'all come ready to study. And if you don't have your Bible, the, the verses will be on the screen. But I have an amazing opportunity this morning. I'm so excited to be teaching this Sunday and next Sunday on the subject of heaven. Heaven. One of the first things after I became a Christian is I had all these questions about heaven. And I just want to put this out there on the forefront if you're can take, if you taking notes. There's a book out there by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. It is the most comprehensive, in-depth book I've ever read on the subject of heaven. I cannot cover everything there is to cover about heaven in two Sundays. I'm, I'm going to try to cover a lot. But Randy Alcorn does an excellent job It's Randy Alcorn by Heaven. You can get it on Amazon. And he goes from everything about from the New Jerusalem to where heaven is to do do dogs go to heaven. (laughs) He talks about everything. So I just want to encourage you to to get that book if you want to study more about heaven. You know, I got reminded uh, we laid my best friend to rest yesterday. It was tough. And uh, so I had a funeral I was at yesterday where my best friend was laid to rest from high school. And then Wednesday, I did another funeral. So as I'm studying heaven this week, I had these two reminders of, you know, each and every one of us, you know, believers and unbelievers, no matter what, you, you, you have eternity ahead. You have eternity ahead. And when you step into eternity, you're going to be gone for a long time. There's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. But I got reminded this week of, of the, the, the brevity of life. And it made my heart cling to God's holy word and every truth that is written in scripture about heaven. Heaven is our inheritance. We serve an awesome, amazing, loving, kind, heavenly father who's not only forgiven us of our sins and caused us to be born again and brought us into the family of God, but he's prepared an eternal home for us And the cool thing is, there's a lot we can learn about heaven here on earth because it's written in the word. So y'all ready to dive into it? Okay, cool deal. Well, um, Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, as we look at it, strengthen us, teach us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. As I was thinking about the subject of heaven, you know, I I can't help but to think of a lot of the, the misinformation that's out there. You know, we live in a world of misinformation where we're constantly bombarded with, with things that people claim are true, but they're not true. I want to give you a couple examples. The first one, and, and there's, there's thousands, but just a couple to give you an example. On August 21st, 1835, the New York Suns published an article, and they claimed that an alien civilization had been discovered on the moon. It sent the world into an est- hysteria afterwards and they discovered it wasn't true. It was called the Great Moon Hoax of 1835. On the cover of the weekly world news edition June 15th, 1993, uh, it labels Hillary Clinton adopts an alien baby. And of course what happened in the 90s as we were leading up to Y2K, the world ran with it. there's a popular resurgence of something that's not true today when it comes to creation there are people today that believe and are saying that the earth is flat there are people actually believe that today that the earth is flat or friends and family, that's not true the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 that the earth is round and it also says in scripture the earth is suspended in space according to Job 26 verse 7 so that's not true. The earth is round, okay? <laughs> and that's what the scripture teaches. And then one of my favorites, this is one of my favorites growing up. How many of you guys were told growing up by maybe your mom or your grandparents that don't swallow your bubble gum? It takes seven years to digest. by I show my hands, anybody ever told that? I was really, I, you know, I, I swallowed bubble gum every day for most of my life. And when my mom first told me that, I, I, I freaked out. I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? Am I going to die? But but yeah, there's lots of misinformation. And then we get into the realm of faith. We get into the realm of the church. And there's a lot of misinformation out there concerning heaven and eternity. And I want to give you four of those. According to a recent survey, 40% of Americans believe that heaven is just a state of mind. And that's not true. Just go read John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place. The Greek word for place is topos. It means a place marked off by boundaries. Heaven is a place. It's not a state of mind. 25% of Americans believe that all good people go to heaven. That is not true. Because Paul says in Romans, there is no one good. No, not one. 10% of Americans believe that everyone goes to heaven. And we're going to see in the text this morning that that is not true. Some people believe when you die, you go to a place called purgatory, where your sins are burned away before you are allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, friends and family. I hope I'm not breaking this news for the first time, but that's not in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible about purgatory. And this is the number one uh, misinformation about heaven and eternity. And some people might get upset when I say this, but it's the truth. And that is this. Some people believe in the faith community that when a relative dies, their loved one becomes their guardian angel, and they even go on to say that they can talk to their loved one. It's not true. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible condemns this belief, and it condemns this practice. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12, that you can read later on, the only authoritative source we have For eternity in heaven is the Bible. You ready to to study the Bible? Let's study the Bible, and let's find out the title of my message, The Truth About Heaven, Part 1. I went through Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There's about 15 teaching points in these two chapters. I'm going to cover the first eight this morning. So let's take a look at it. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there is no longer any sea. The first point I want to present to you this morning about heaven and eternity is that there will be a destruction. There will be a destruction and a new creation. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. What does Jesus say will pass away? The heavens and the earth. Peter said, the apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 11, he talks about this day that the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. And why is it going to pass away? Because God's going to wipe away sin. He's going to make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. But Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away With a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. In other words, global warming is coming. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So the scripture teaches, the Bible teaches, that the heavens and the earth are going to be burned up. See, family, this world is wrecked by sin. And it's all around us. And I don't know about you, but I hate sin. I hate darkness. I hate death. I hate disease. It breaks my heart every funeral I go to when I see a loved one pass away. Why do people pass away? Why do people die? Why do people have diseases? Why are there bad things in this world? Because of the curse. Mankind, from Adam and Eve to you and I, we we rebelled against God. And we brought the curse, and we live in this fallen world. And God is going to uh, completely create a new heavens and a new earth. So what do we do with our material possessions today? Hold them lightly. A very well-known theologian that I, I really like to listen to, she says this: "Hold onto it lightly. It's all going to burn." Her name is Irene Ford. But that's a famous quote in our house when, when things get tough and we see the consequences of sin in the world and we're like, you know what? I'm not, we're not holding on to this. We're going to hold on to Jesus because everything else is going to be burned up. God is going to make everything brand new. That should bring our hearts joy and excitement as we look forward to a world. I mean, unless you like death. If you like death, if you like sickness, if you like disease, then it's sad news. But if you like life, wholeness, healing, and a perfect world, this, this should bring your heart great joy. It's gonna be like the Garden of Eden before the fall. So there will be a destruction of the old earth in eternity, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth where life reigns. It's gonna be mind-blowingly amazing. I believe we're gonna get there and our jaws are gonna to drop to the ground. We're gonna be so amazed at this new heavens and this new earth. It's going to be awesome. Let's look at verse 2, because we're going to make it through the whole chapter. He says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Truth number two, I'll recap these at the end if you miss any, is this. The new heavens and the new earth will have a capital, they will have a capital. In other words, there will be a headquarters. And that headquarters will be, the, what is it? Look at the verse yourself. Your scripture says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. I believe, as Revelation chapter 21 verse 2 says, and John chapter 14, that this new Jerusalem exists today. It exists today. We call it heaven. This is where, when believers pass away, when it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord, they go to this place called heaven, the new Jerusalem. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he told his disciples on the evening before his crucifixion, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know what you're doing. What's going on? What's going to happen? And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is talking about this new Jerusalem that we see coming down out of heaven. Later on in the book of Acts, about 12 years after Jesus ascended, Paul was dragged out of the city. He was stoned by the religious leaders for bringing the gospel. And then uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 he describes this out-of-body experience. They, they dragged him out of the city. They stoned him. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Okay? So biblically speaking, according to the Bible, there's only three heavens. People talk about five heavens, ten heavens, seven heavens. There, there's no biblical support for that. The, the, the biblical support for heaven is that there are three heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. We see the birds and planes going through it, that blue sky. Then the second heaven is the universe, endless in every direction. But then the Bible says there's a place called the third heaven. And that third heaven is the new Jerusalem. And it's going to be the capital of the new heavens and the new earth. And it's going to be amazing. Verse 3. Verse 3. Looking at the glory and the truth about heaven. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, this this, this one right here might be the greatest truth of heaven, right here. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. The third truth, the third, and I will add to it, the greatest truth about heaven is this. God will be there. The Lord God Almighty will be there. His presence, his power, and his glory in his person. You will see him, okay? You will see him. Now, if we saw him right now, if God showed up right now, we'd all be vaporized. We'd all be dead. Because he's so holy and he's so pure. But at the resurrection, God is going to give us a resurrected body, a brand new body. And in this new glorified body, you will be able to see God face to face in the new heavens and the new earth. No longer, no longer behind the veil in the holy of holies, as he was in the Old Testament. No longer dwelling in eternity, but he will be here with us, visibly, presence, his throne, him seated there. Psalm 73, verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and beside you, I desire nothing on earth. This was the heart cry of the psalmist. There was one thing he wanted I want to see God. And that should be our heart cry as Christians who have been forgiven by Christ, as our, our greatest desire. Is, is, is we want to see the Lord. We want to see Christ in all his glory, and all his majesty. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to be able to see him somehow in our brand new bodies. His presence will be there. It, re- it repeats the phrase three times. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. And God himself will be among them. The supreme glory and joy of heaven will be that God is there in person. Awesome for the creation, awesome to see everything in heaven, awesome to see the stones and the jewels and the streets of gold, and all that stuff is going to be magnificent. But none of that is going to compare with seeing our God and being there in his presence. So the third truth is God will be there. Verse 4. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. uh, Verse four, I'm pulling the fourth truth out of here and the fourth truth about heaven is friends and family, you will experience complete healing when you get to heaven, mental, emotional psychological, physical. It will be complete. And the, the greatest, he says he will wipe away the tears. Christ will wipe away the tears and there will no longer be any death. At both funerals I was at this week, including myself, tears and sadness filled our hearts as, our, as we realized we would no longer see our loved one. And it hurt. But one day in the new heavens and the new earth, God is going to wipe away every tear caused by sadness, disease, and sin. Sin has wrecked our world and caused a lot of suffering, a lot of heartbreaks, a lot of pain. Seeing a believer abandon faith in Christ... Or watching a loved one suffer with cancer. Or seeing my my 50-year-old best friend from high school pass away. It hurts and it goes deep. But Christ will wipe away every tear caused by the pain of this fallen world. And God will remove all memory of sorrow and pain. Because heaven is going to be perfect. You you can't even imagine it right now. Don't even. I, don't, I would I would say try, but you can't imagine it because our in our world, in our minds, in our hearts, we're, we we've experienced sorrow, we've experienced sadness. Bad things happen in this life. So for our our feeble earthly minds, we can't even think what that would be like. But hang on, it's coming. It says it right there in, in verse four. No, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For these things uh, will, will be gone, no longer any death. You know, one of the common questions I get when we start talking about heaven is will we remember pain? Will we remember tragedy? Will we remember loved ones or friends that didn't know Christ? I find my answer to this question in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, which it says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. There will be no sadness, mourning in heaven for all eternity. We will have perfect hearts, perfect minds, and there will be no sadness. So to answer that question is no, we won't. Because that's pain, that's sorrow, that's tragedy, and pain, sorrow and tragedy have no place in heaven. Let's continue. Verse five says uh, "And he who sits on the throne said, "Behold, I am making all things new." And he said, "Write for these words are faithful and true." Look at the end of verse five. He says, "Write." For these words, what words are we talking about here? We're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about the new Jerusalem. He says, for these words that I'm saying here, they are faithful and true. Everything written in scripture about eternity and heaven is fact. It's true. It's not a myth. It's not our opinion. It's not our religion. It's the reality of truth that God has revealed in his word. And friends and family, you can trust everything that the Bible says about heaven. Not about the media, not about the religious world, or, 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 or other things that's said out there, but, but what the scripture says about heaven is true, and it's and, and is facts. And everything that contradicts it is not true. It's false. So we hold to scripture. Um, this is faithful, man. This is coming. Ready or not, heaven is coming one day in eternity. Look at verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give <clears throat> to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. This verse right here, there's, there's really three main points. Three main teaching points from verse 6. And the first one there he says, then he said to me, It is done. What do we need to learn from that statement when he says, it is done? Not maybe, not possibly. He says, it is done. All the purposes of God in Christ Jesus will be fulfilled, okay? Everything that's written about Christ, everything that's foretold in the scriptures, everything that's presented to us in God's holy word God will fulfill it. And here we are at the end of the book of Revelation as we're we're stepping into the eternal state and he's saying, it is done. It is done. He will bring everything to pass that he has promised in his word. That's how sure and that's how firm the Bible is. We can rest, our hearts can rest In it. And then he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What's this saying? This is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Alpha and Omega, the the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He says, in other words, Christ is, he's at the beginning, he was there at creation, he was co eternal with the Father, creating the heavens and the earth, he's been there throughout time, he's there now, and he will be there in the end. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And then I love this at the end of verse 6. He says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Doesn't that verse just like lift your heart? It's like, oh, wow. we We are, we, we are going to be thirsty, but he's going to give to us from the spring, verse 6, the end of verse 6, from the spring of the water of life. And this brings me to truth number five on eternity in heaven is this. Your heart, your heart, Christian, will be filled and overflowing throughout eternity. You will never want again. You will never yearn again for for God. You will have the complete fullness of the Holy Spirit And God's glory inside of you. It's going to be euphoric. It's going to be mind-blowingly amazing. It's going to be like a a permanent spiritual buzz throughout all eternity that you will experience. It's going to be that great. The peace, the spirit, the glory. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38 uh, in his earthly ministry, he said, uh, standing up there on, on, the, on the mount, he says, On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. Now, we get to experience the Holy Spirit today, okay? You get to experience the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, his living waters in you today. I do not deny that. That is truth for life today. But the ultimate experience of, of God's Holy Spirit and God's glory will be in eternity. You think it's good now and it is good. Wait till you get to eter- into eternity. It's going to be blowing, mind-blowing. Throughout eternity you will experience the outpouring of God's glory and God's Holy Spirit as you experience eternal life. Please be there. Please be there. Please be there by trusting in Christ. Trusting in Christ. Trusting in the Lord Jesus. So, number five is your heart will be filled and overflowing throughout eternity. Look at verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What does it mean to overcome? What does overcome mean? To, overco- to, to be an overcomer in, in this world, in this life, he who overcomes will inherit these things. So when he says overcomes here, he's not talking about eternity. He's talking about overcoming in this life that we're living now. Number one, you got to make up your mind. you got to make up your mind and say, you know what? I am fixed my life on serving Christ. I've made up my mind. I'm no longer wishy-washy. I'm focused. Secondly, let nothing stand in the way. If anything stands in the way in this life of serving Christ, remove it. Remove it. Because there's nothing greater than the joy that you're going to experience when you get to heaven. So Satan comes along and dangles a carrot in front of me push that thing out the way. Nothing is going to stand in the way of my journey in this life of one day stepping into his presence and seeing his glory. If something comes along the way, I'm going to slay it. I'm going to remove it. You know, to overcome means to be faithful to his word. How's the old hymn go? I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, no turning back, no turning back. You know, I understand God's sovereignty. I understand he's called us to himself. He's opened our heart. But at the same time, in the same breath with God's sovereignty, you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make in your mind. Make a decision today that I am gonna serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna respond to his grace and say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to trust you. Make a decision, follow him and you will overcome. He who overcomes will inherit these things. What are these things? The things that we're talking about in this study of Revelation chapter 21. Verse eight, verse eight. Oh, six truth about heaven. Not everyone will be there. Look at verse eight. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral person, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second, death. The sixth truth about heaven from Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 is, and this is sad. This is so sad, and it breaks my heart. I find no joy in presenting this because it strikes deep into my heart pain, but not everyone will be there. The world likes to think that everyone goes to heaven but that's not what the Bible teaches. Those who do not trust in Christ for salvation will not be there. Now, I want to break down the grammatical structure of this verse so you you understand it clearly. Notice verse 8, the grammatical structure. The sins listed here are what we call present tense participles, meaning these people that's being talked about They continue in their sin. This is a a, a way of life. He's not saying if you've committed these sins, you're not going to be in heaven. That's not what what the text is saying. Because every single one of these sins, your pastor was was in these sins. Each one of these sins listed could, could be used to describe David Ford before he was born again. And notice it says, but for the, the, the cowardly, again, it's present tense, it's ongoing, this is, this is not a slip, this is not a fall, this is not a backslide, this is, they, they continued, the present tense participle, they continued throughout their life. They rejected Christ and they chose this way of life. But the first one there, it says cowardly. Cowardly is a, a the, the Greek word that's used there, it's a mixture of unbelief. These individuals hear the gospel, know the gospel, but they never get saved and they never give their life to Jesus. Then the next one is unbelieving. This is those who reject God. Abominable and sorcerers. That word means to be filled with witchcraft, wickedness, and and, and evil, sorcery, witchcraft. You know, um, has no part in in the Christian life. Murderers, you know. Those are people that live a life of killing, and not only killing people, but a life of hatred. Because Jesus says, he who hates his brother without cause is what? A murderer. You know, this is a way of life. This is deep in darkness. This is a rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ and choosing the life of sin. Then immoral person. Some of your translations add sexual immoral, and that's what the Greek word that's used here refers to, is sexual immorality. Sex is a beautiful gift from God, and it's, it's meant to be a joy. It's for one man, one woman in marriage. But men, your sexual activity is reserved for your wife or your future wife. Ladies, your sexual activity is reserved for your husband or your future husband. And then it says idolaters, people who place anything above God, or they have an unbiblical view of God that does not align with Scripture. Now maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here this morning that's like me, and maybe you have found yourself caught up in one of these. Because each of these, every single one of these was was how I lived uh, before God set me free. Know this, friend. If you find yourself tied up in one of these sins, know this today. God stands ready to forgive you. He stands ready to forgive you and lead you to complete freedom in Christ. Pastor David, how do I break this cycle? How can, how can I kill this? How can I annihilate this sin? How can, how can I find victory in this, in this area of my life? If you humbly ask God, if you humbly ask God, God will give you his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to break free from the bondage of sin. Jesus said in John 8, 36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, God offers freedom. The world is cloaked in darkness is cloaked in chains of sin. We all are, we all have been. You know what, I was coward, I was unbelieving, I was abominable, I was a murderer, I was a sexually immoral person for a long time. Sorcery, idolatry, liars. But then the Lord Jesus Christ opened my heart, set me free, forgave me of all my sins, and he offers complete forgiveness of these sins and complete freedom if we will just humble ourselves and ask him. Let's continue. So not everyone will be there but only those who trust in Christ. John 14 6 Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except by me. Now what will heaven look like? What will heaven look like? What will, what will we see? Can, can, we, can we glean some imagery today? Yes we can. Look at verse 9. What, is, what will we see when we get to heaven? He says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I just want to stop right there. Verse 10, it says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, you know, this is, there's an important point here. How do you get to heaven? I mean, can I, can I get on the Space Shuttle Challenger? Can I rocket off into outer space and just hit it full thrust and go forever and then one day show up at this golden, beautiful city? No. Heaven and eternity in God is outside the realm of time and space. We call, the, the word theologians like to use is transcendent. In other words, it's on the other side. It's in eternity. Paul says in Timothy, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be the glory forever and ever. James says, God's perfect light, it shines down from heaven. When you look at verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit. I think the principle there is showing us is that the way to get to heaven is when you leave this physical body. Because this physical body cannot, Jesus says, this physical body, will, flesh and blood, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's stepping into eternity. It's on the other side. That's outside of our realm of thinking because I've never been there. I don't, I don't know if you have or not, but I haven't. But that's the truth of Scripture is that we will leave this body. He says, he carried me away in the spirit. John had an out-of-body experience to see this great and high mountain, the holy city New Jerusalem coming down. Let's, let's get back to my subject. Verse 11, what heaven looks like. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates. Oh, this is beautiful, family. Listen to this. And at the gates, 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Here we are at the end of the New Testament, and God, through his, the Holy Spirit, is still talking about ancient Israel. The story of the Old Testament and, and the, the Old Testament covenant and everything is just, it's in every single chapter here in the book of Revelation. I heard one guy say one time we need, to, we need to let go of the Old Testament. We need to unhitch from the Old Testament. We just need to embrace the New Testament. No, we need all of Scripture. We need Old Testament and New Testament to see the big picture. But he says in verse 12, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates of the west. You want evidence, you you want some concrete connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament and how they cohesively go together. The seventh truth about heaven I present to you this morning is this. In heaven, there will be a special recognition of God's covenant relationship with Israel.' I've got a diagram I want to show you. This is super fascinating for, for people who like to study the Old and New Testament. Um, if you go and you read Numbers chapter two, the gate, the gates set up in heaven is identical to the setup of the 12 tribes of Israel as they set up around the tent of meetings. So when they were in the wilderness and they set up the tent of meetings, the 12 tribes, and this says it, it says it in Numbers chapter 2. These three on this side, these three on this side, these three on this this side, and these three on this side. And then here we are at the end of the Bible, and God is paying tribute to his covenant people, the nation of Israel. In in this new Jerusalem, this place called heaven above, those gates on the four sides will be the exact representation from Numbers chapter two. What does this teach us? That Jesus is truly Israel's Messiah. He is truly the promised one. So you have the tent of meetings, the twelve tribes, then when we get to heaven, you got heaven, same setup. With uh, three gates on each side representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then look at verse 14. This is equally important. This is, this is what I'm doing here. What I'm doing before you, uh, hopefully, is I'm tying the Old Testament and the New Testament together in your minds through our study of Revelation chapter 21. But look at verse 14. It says, And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have the gates representing the 12 tribes of Israel, God's covenant people in the Old Testament. And then look at the foundation. The foundational stone recognizes God's covenant relationship with the church. Family, the body of Christ today are brothers and sisters with the nation of Israel, with the covenant people of God. We will spend the kingdom and eternity with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the covenant people of God. This is a beautiful text here uh, that in heaven, the new Jerusalem, you have the gates and the foundations uh, being represented in the 12 tribes and the body of Christ. We need to pray fervently for the nation of Israel. We need to pray fervently for the Body of Christ, because they are the covenant people of God. Amazing. Let's continue. Verse 15. It says, And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. I think some of your translations say 12,000 furloughs, but that's the same thing, same distance. Its length and its width and its height are equal, verse 17. And he measured its walls, he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The city, the new Jerusalem, the third, the new Jerusalem that's talked about in Revelation in John chapter 14, the place called heaven, Topos, the place it exists today, and it is a city. It is a city laid out in a perfect square, 1,500 miles wide by length, by height. It's like a perfect cube. And, and if you're thinking about how big that is, that's uh, from Maine to Florida, and then from South Carolina to New Mexico. It's a perfect square golden beautiful city at its base go home and do the math check behind me but at its base it is two million two hundred and fifty thousand square miles at its base it is and if you do the measurements for the height is 780,000 stories high and the cool thing about heaven is there's plenty of room for all to come. Let's be inviting our friends and our family. Let's invite everyone to come to heaven by trusting in Christ. It's gonna be this beautiful, magnificent city that's gonna be the capital of the, new, of the new heavens and the new earth. And I get that, too, I'm gonna repeat that in case you missed it, at the base, If 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles is 2,250,000 square mile footage at the base. And if there's layers, which we don't know, the scripture doesn't say, there's going to be even more room. But here's the cool thing. This is just going to be the capital. Heaven is just going to be the capital of the new earth. You're going to have the rest of the planet, the rest of the planet to populate. There's more than enough room for all to come. So let's be inviting to be a part of this great and awesome kingdom called heaven. Verse 18, verse 18 says, The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone, the first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony. the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth christophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. That's going to be a very large gate. And the gate is going to be made of pearls. Ladies, you like pearls? I love seeing pearls on my wife. But the gates in this city, they're going to be pearls. They're going to be beautiful pearls. And it says, uh, in this verse, halfway through verse 21, And the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb its temple. And the city has no need of the sun, of the moon, to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And the lamp is the Lamb. The eighth, my final bullet point this morning, my teaching point this morning on heaven, and the eighth truth about heaven is this, it will be beautiful. It will be beautiful it will be mind-blowingly amazing. You're going to get there, and you're going to be like, wow, this is awesome. This, this is amazing. God's glory and light will radiate throughout the city called the New Jerusalem. Back at verse 18, he describes it as pure gold, like clear glass. Verse 19, it's adorned with every kind of precious stone, Verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. We talked about that. The street, uh, verse 21, the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. John, at this moment, I don't know how he's surviving because he's just being floored at this beautiful vision of heaven. It's filled with the most costly, precious stones that you will ever lay your eyes on. Heaven will be the most beautiful place you have ever seen with your eyes. I've seen a lot of cool things in this world. I've been to Israel. I've been all across Europe. I've been to Niagara Falls. Uh, next month, me and my wife are going down to Key West for our 25th wedding anniversary. You know, I've, I've been all over the world, seen a lot of great sights around the world. And some of them just grab my attention in, in amazement at how beautiful it is. Another one I'm looking forward to going to is the Grand Canyon. And I look forward to seeing all these places. But the place that's going to bring the ultimate joy and is going to be the most beautiful is when we step into heaven and we see this new Jerusalem. It's going to be, that's the best way I can describe this. It's going to be beautiful. You're, you're, you're going to be just over-elated in joy. You're going to fall out in amazement. Jesus prepared all this for me. You know, the scripture teaches that I I believe in a literal seven-day creation. I'm one of them young earth guys. and, And I believe that God created this world in a literal six days. He spoke it into existence. And he created it all in six days. Jesus has been preparing the new Jerusalem, the third heaven, for 2,000 years. Oh my goodness, what is it going to be like? It's going to be amazing. If he did this in six days, what can he do in 2,000 years? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Let's finish it up. Verse 24 through 26. It says, And the the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. You know, I believe that um, in heaven... It's going to be a lot like the earth today and life today, except there will be no sin. Oh, and there's another thing too. I I didn't talk about it, but back at verse 1, my heart got broken this week as I was studying this passage. I was like, man, I don't like that. But it is what it is. There will be no more sea. Do you notice that back at verse 1? It says there will no longer be any sea. And as somebody who really loves to go deep sea fishing, and spending time on the ocean, there'll be no more sea. But It is what it is. But this place is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And verse 27 says, excuse, excuse me, verse 26, and they will bring their glory and honor of the nations into it. So there will be some kind of worship taking place as we go to the new Jerusalem and the new heavens the new earth to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see God in all his glory. So there will be offerings brought to him. And then verse 27, And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Going back to my starting point of my teaching this morning, talking about the misinformation. Friends and family, what I just presented to you, this is not misinformation. This is truth straight from God's word. This is the truth about heaven. We'll continue this study. But in case you missed a point, here they are. The truth from, about heaven based on Revelation chapter 21. Number one, it will require destruction. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Heaven will have a capital. John chapter 14, Revelation chapter 21. God will be there in person. We will see him face to face. No, no, no more faith. You know, we, we pray to him. We trust him. Uh, we live by faith in him, but one day we'll see him face to face. You will experience complete healing. He will wipe away every tear, every heartache. He will remove it. Your heart will be filled and overflowing in joy, God's glory, and the Holy Spirit. We learned not everyone will be there according to Revelation 21.8. In heaven, there will be a recognition to God's covenant relationship with Israel and the church. We see that in the foundation. We see that in the gates, these beautiful pearl gates. And uh, heaven will be the most beautiful thing you have ever laid your eyes on. This, family, is truth that you can build your life on. This is truth that you can look forward to. This is the truth that we can invite the world to come and experience, courtesy of the cross. Courtesy of the grace of God, given to us freely by our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our inheritance, heaven. That's what we can live for. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, and you don't have the hope of heaven, it simply comes down to placing your trust in Christ, saying, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I turn away from the old life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and you can have the hope of heaven. And the areas of your life that you struggle with, that we all struggle with. Man, I, I brought so much junk into my Christianity, so, so many sins, so, many, so much that was just, just had a hold of me. But through discipleship and fellowship and growing in Christ, the Lord has brought me to a place of complete freedom. And he will do the same for you if you will just ask him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I pray, Lord, for our our body today, Lord, that we will rejoice. Rejoice that our names are, are written in heaven and that we have the hope of heaven ahead of us. Lord, let us take these truths to heart. Let us build our life on them, Lord. And Father, let the truth of heaven in our hearts and in our minds, encourage us to reach out to the lost, to tell them about heaven, but more importantly, tell them how to get to heaven. And that's through you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And Lord, if there be anyone that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today will be the day of salvation, that today will be the day they put their trust in you and live for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for Revelation chapter 21 and everything we've learned. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.